0: This podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples. Sovereign lands that were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. everyone welcome back to can we talk about it with your host Charm and what Our next guest is an amazing young man who has so much to share with us. And I'm really looking forward for people to learn more about this young gentleman.
1: Yeah, Uh (laughs) I really look forward, you know, to a positive news story. And I think everyone will be really uplifted by this one.
0: That is so true. And um,
1: without further ado, let's get into it. So today we have Salim Mohammed joining us um, on Can We Talk About It podcast. Um, Salim is a youth empowerment and diversity advocate, keynote speaker, mentor, and the 2019 semifinalist for Young Achievers Award, and a poet. Um, Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: No worries. So many uh, different avenues. I love it. Can't wait to um, get into it. So um, we want to start by asking you, Salim, how would you describe yourself?
2: Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting because I think I'm one of those people that's like a bit introverted and I don't really like to talk about myself too much. I, if you tell me to talk about anything, anyone else, I'll give, you know, random with um, compliments or whatnot. But uh, in terms of myself, I think some of the things that I've learned about myself and, and really built confidence in is my ability to work hard. So I would say I'm probably always the, the hardest worker in the room. I try to be the hardest worker in the room. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know, the migrant mentality of, of trying to, you know, overcome you know, lack, lack of confidence or, or those sort of other things. But I'll definitely say I'm a people person. I love to give, I love to share, and I love to build. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, it's a little bit about me.
1: Love that, love that. And I guess we wanted to know a little bit about your upbringing.
2: Yeah, I was born in Somalia in 1993. And for any hi- history buffs or movie lovers, if you see the movie Black Hawk Down, that's probably exactly when I was born. So in the midst of civil war, Somalia um, when 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 American Army was also coming into the country to try and save it I guess or whatever you want to call it so yeah it was it was a really turbulent time my family fled to Ethiopia um, when I was one years old and I was there till five and came to Australia at the age of five so that's kind of uh, my my early days growing up and yeah it's been been in Australia ever since never had a passport <laughs> <laughs> which a, a lot of people laugh laugh about me um, at but yeah that's that's my my early days.
0: well, let's talk about that. Why don't you have a passport?
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I think I think every time I said uh, I want to go to you know this country or that country is always oh yeah, there's someone you can arrange um your marriage and we we're know we're no families in this area. so I was like, oh, I don't want to go there anymore and then a, <laughs> few, a, 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 a few years would go by, but I'm like, oh, i want I want to travel to this country it's like, oh yeah. You know, we can we can we set you up for someone <laughs> eventually I, I just said no you know what I'll say I'll stay here
1: <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um so growing up in Australia from the age of five, and I think that's earlier than any any of us here, and I thought I came here quite early, but what was it like being a child in Australia?
2: Yeah, I think it was um I think one thing that's definitely was evident to me is that experiences for everyone can be so different, even within the same household. I, I came when I was five and I was the youngest in my family at that time. And, you know, stepping into, you know, prep and kindergarten was kind of learning the ABCs with the rest of my classmates. But my two older brothers came a bit, you know, at an older age, and it's a bit harder to settle, you know, into grade three and grade four. And So I think, yeah, the, the, my, my experience... Uh, was one that was kind of easier to, to, to settle in and learn the language. Uh, I've got a really, really funny um, airport story. Uh, I, ho- I hope you find it funny. But, so obviously growing up in, in Somalia and Ethiopia, um, all I've ever seen was, was people of my complexion. Yeah. Uh, um, and when I came in, in the airport, mom always tells me this story is that it's the first time I ever saw someone that was, you know, of, of a fairer skin. Um, and I was like, I was so, I'm like, oh, what's, what's, what's going on here? I've never seen this. And I was so so excited and curious that i just ran around i'm um, just shaking everyone's hand <laughs> my, my mom was chasing me around, like what, the, what are you doing uh, but yeah that was, that was me i was always um i'd say curious um and yeah it was it was, it was a funny it was a fun little story
0: Well it's the innocence of the child's mind, isn't it? Um, Because, you know, you're so curious, you're like, oh, wow, you know, Um, I mean, this completely different environment and you're being exposed to all these different stimuli. Mm. Yeah. And so then when going to school, you know, um, how was that experience then, uh, considering you said that, you know, you joined at kindergarten. So Mm -hmm. obviously um, there'll be other kids as well who would be curious about you too, Mm. because you look different.
2: Yeah, I think um, at, at that age when you're when you're so young and everyone else is so young, kids are innocent and because they're just curious. And I think it, it it felt a bit normal, to be honest. I didn't really see myself too different to everyone else. But it's not until you get older um, that you start to notice things such as like you know identity and who am I and why or you know why am I different and what can't I do you know, that other people can do because of my, my values or my morals. Or. But I think at that age, for me, it wasn't too difficult. It was just settling in and just seeing you know, not too many people um, that look like me at the school, within the the, you know, the cohort of, of young people, but also teachers, you know principals, everyone in, in the school wasn't exactly representative of my culture. But I was only at my first school, uh, which was Preston South Primary School. It was a really welcoming school as well to my, for my experiences. Um, till, till, till grade three, and then I moved to East Preston Islamic College, which is, um, you know, a school for young people from Muslim background, and, and you know, there was, uh, I'd say, probably less, less diversity, more people that you know that look like me that have the same religious beliefs or cultural background. So, yeah, during, during my early or, or late primary school and early high school at that school was probably you know just yeah, I didn't really see too much difference between me and everyone else in, in, in my in my peer group. That's really
1: interesting because not a lot of people get that experience of, you know, being put in a space of people who look like them, who share the same values, same cultural beliefs and religious beliefs. We're usually thrown into into the deep end and, you know, you just have to figure it out. And at that very young age of five, six, seven, eight, kids don't really understand, you know, the concept of identity or uh, division. And then you just skip that part by just going to a to a Muslim school. So wow, um, mm. I'm interested to know when was your first experience um, with really understanding your difference? Was there something that happened, a comment that was made? There usually there's something that usually happens that really sparks this idea of, damn, I'm, I'm a minority, or I mean, I'm different.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's. It's obviously been more of a recent um, issue, uh, you know, p- p- portrayed in the media or, or just in society around African gangs. Um, but I think if you go, you know, much, much before that, um, when, you know, 9-11 or the C- Cronulla riots, and, and those, those were probably the moments when I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, uh, I'm obviously you know, a good person, a law-abiding citizen and whatnot, and everyone that I know is. But all of a sudden, you know, we're all being treated a, a specific way. And I was still relatively young. Then I was probably 14, 15. And, and to hear that and see that all over the news and everything and, you know, seeing the responses from, you know, family and, and not being like, be careful when you go outside for a walk." Like I used to, you know, have bike rides all the time when I was when I was younger. And, you know, I just drive around and that's like, like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if, you, if that's the best thing. I'm like, oh, why not? You know, because you don't, you don't really, you don't get it. You don't understand why something that happened that's completely, you know, not connected to you at all whatsoever can affect you. And yeah, it's probably one of the early early experiences that I've had. I realized like, oh, this, you know, something that's different, or, or you know, something that's out of my control that's going to affect me and who I am. And it's, I'm not just selling at that point.
0: Mm very interesting it's interesting you mentioned uh, cuz obviously you've been in australia for a while so for yourself it's incidents like the Cronulla riots 911 that then sort of impacted you know that sense of identity now how have your parents um, or your family been able to sort of shape your identity as you grew up
2: yeah i think for me family's always been um, a massive thing like i'm 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 a big um, Mama's boy, and I'll, I'll never be ashamed of it. Um, so, uh, like, I've always, you know, like, she's my hero, like, who, who I want to be, so I try to take on um, her characteristics and, and and her beliefs and whatnot. But I think in terms of, like, you know, we've always had cultural foods as a staple in, in my household. I always speak Somali to my parents and um, to anyone who's older than me. That's um, just kind of, you know, a way that, thankfully, I've been able to maintain my language to, to the best of my abilities because I think a lot of young people that have grown up here where. English essentially becomes their first language. That's what they speak to, you know, their friends, you know, their, their teachers, their, their peers, you know, emails, texts, like everything you even think in, in, in English. Uh, so it takes over, you know, every aspect of, of your life that you start to maybe forget um, your, your, your mother tongue. But yeah, thankfully, that's been a way that I've been able to hold on to that culture. And I think, you know, I wear cultural clothing all the time. And that's been a, a way that's really helped me connect to who I am and where I'm from and, and really made me proud of my background and my heritage. So I think, That's definitely a way that I've been able
1: to maintain that. Mm, That's awesome. And it's really nice to hear that, you know, you are proud of maintaining your language because I remember growing up to fit in was to reject your culture. It was to reject your language. You're supposed to be only speaking English and then you'd get embarrassed if you speak your language or if you're caught speaking your language at school or whatever. So you work really hard. Well, I know I did. I worked really, really hard to learn English um, over anything and now at my ripe old age, I'm embarrassed to say that I can barely speak my language. Mm. You know, I can barely speak it. I can understand it, but I really struggle to respond back. And when I was younger, I thought it was a great thing. You know, I'm I'm fitting in, I'm Australian, I can speak English, you know, better than everyone around me. And I realized how much of my own culture I lost. And it's a lot harder now to try and get it back after Mm -hmm you grow up so it's really amazing and it's really important to let other people know that keeping your identity is actually a strength and not a weakness which yes you know we were taught mm. when mm. we were younger I understand I mean you're African and you're Muslim so it's like double double, <laughs> you, know, double <laughs> <minority>. <laughs> you feel like not just being African but being an African Muslim man um, impacted your upbringing was it more difficult um having that religious factor as well as your cultural um heritage?
2: Uh yeah, I think it's been different um experience for me probably compared to, you know, uh, you know, would be the, the average experience um in the community. But then being able to, you know, like I said Sh- Shaman, skip that, you know, that, that that age, you know, where everyone starts to get curious about their identity and um who are you and whatnot and, and being able to go into a Muslim school and it was you know, like we're praying halfway through the school day. Um, so there's no one really questioning, you know, oh, what are you doing? Like, why are you in the toilet, you know, washing your hands and face mm. and different parts of your body? Why are your socks off? <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, that definitely hasn't been, um, you know, I haven't had the experience of, of, of people having to question my identity at a younger age to the point where it's not solid within me. Mm. And then I have to then question it myself, like, oh, okay, is this weird? And am I, am, I, am I the weird one? But thankfully, mm. I've been in a space where um, it's all kind of been, you know, everyone's doing, you know, the similar thing and, and um, it's helped me build my my identity and the strength. So the time that I've left, you know, East Preston Islamic College in, in year nine, going into year 10 and I went to Reservoir High School, I was already really confident in who I am, um, you know, and my background and, and being, you know, an African Muslim Australian. So I think, yeah, thankfully, I haven't had those moments when it was being questioned at, at a really young age.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, And it's quite interesting as well. I mean, you talk about how, you know, you going to an Islamic school sort of helped, you know, strengthen that uh, sense of identity and belonging because everyone else around you, you know, was doing exactly the same thing. And it, it, would, it had nothing to do with the color of your skin Mm -hmm. Um, because I can imagine the Muslim school was also diverse. It's not just African Muslims, you've got Arab Muslims, you've got European Muslims, you've got so many um, uh, people from different ethnic backgrounds, but then it's the religion that sort of ties you together. Um, So that's fascinating then, because when you then go to reservoir high school, which is completely different. This is now like the Australian society. It's almost like preparing you for the bigger world as you get into the workplace. How was that experience for you with the transition?
2: Yeah, and just, just before I go into um, the experience at, at Reservoir, i will probably also would like to say like when I was leaving Preston South Primary School to go to East Preston Island College, I was reluctant <laughs> um, because I've already, you know, like it's all, all I've known um, I've built friendship groups the school's been really really nice to me they wanted to push me up a, a year level or two so I, I was having a really positive experience um, and I didn't want to go to East Preston Islamic College but you know obviously you know my parents saw an opportunity for me to you know be surrounded by, 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 by others that look like me things like me and, and um, you know it would help me settle into the country but I didn't see that yeah um, all I saw was a, a change you know it was a bit scary um, so it's actually funny now looking back, you know, understanding what, what you know, difficulties and challenges young people go through in, in, in society, that that's actually a positive, probably experience for me at that time, especially as we know, the world was probably less accepting and and you know, less diverse. You know, early 90s, we've got a lot more social workness and yeah. So, uh, but yeah, in terms of the rest of our high school, it was, it was. It was a good experience moving across to there, um, but I think also yeah, it, was, it was one of the schools that's also very diverse mm. for, for our public schools. So as soon as I went in there, it was you know we had a pretty large you know so, uh, Somali cohort, pretty large African cohort, pretty large uh, Muslim cohort. We were able to access you know our prayer room at lunchtime, so it was a very ac- ac- accepting and, and diverse school. So it wasn't too big of a difference, and I mm. had friends there that I knew from my local soccer club, so it was easier settling in. It wasn't my like kind of like moving to a whole new suburb and, and just having to pick a random school and just, you know, not, not know anyone at all. So, yeah, it was it an was easy transition. Mm. You know, it's we spend, as as young people, a
1: third of our life at school, was it? I, mm. I don't know the specific statistics. And teachers are pretty much our, our second parents. So mm. what they do and how they choose to nurture young people makes all the difference into how, you know, you you navigate life as an adult. So it's really beautiful to hear that you just moved from one accepting school to another accepting school whereby, you know, they allowed you to pray. Um, You had people that looked like you. There was nothing about your identity that was questioned. So getting out of school and going into the real world as a black Muslim man, and I know by then you definitely were confident in who you were. Was there any challenges or pushback when you got into the workforce?
2: Mm. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll go back one step um, back to the original experience. I think, like you said, there's, there's you know, teachers that, 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 that nurture you. And I know we can all think of that one or two teachers that we will never forget. Like, it doesn't matter if we're in our, you know, 60s, 70s. Like, oh, yeah, I remember when that you know, teacher did that amazing thing that kind of changed um, the structure of my life or, or my own confidence. I had one experience, and it was in year 10, so it was very soon after I, I started the school. Um, where I'll be honest, like going through primary school and and early high school, I was just kind of going through the motions. I was just, you know, going to class, you know, getting, I get a C, I'm like, yep, sweet. If I get a B, I'm like, oh, you know, that's awesome. I wasn't really (laughs) like aiming. I wasn't aiming for A's or anything. And and, I didn't have that much confidence in myself. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go through like, whatever, whatever life gives me, it gives me. And I had this English teacher in year 10 where uh, I completed an essay and he gave me an A plus, um, with the arrow going up. And I was like, mm, what's, what is this? I've never seen a great grade in my life. And he's like, <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, and he's like, you know you're, you've got an A plus at year 10 standard, but if I could grade you higher, I would. Wow. For me, yeah, for me at that point, I was like, okay, you know what? I, maybe, maybe I should be more confident in myself. You know, maybe I should actually believe that, you know, that I can do better. I'm not just, just going to go through the motions anymore. Just, yeah, just just do whatever the, the, the bare minimum or the, or the standard is. Um and I had another really cool experience going into year 12 at Reservoir High School. And the school had this really interesting process where um, when they're picking school captains, it's not like you know, in, in the normal schools where kids will nominate themselves and you know they'll be selected um, between, between them. And it's generally, you know, obviously, the confidence kids don't nominate themselves. <laughs> but the school had a different system where the teachers would nominate which kids they see potential in or, or who they think would be great leaders in the school. And I had a teacher come up to me and say, "Hey, something. I'm gonna nominate you." And I was like, "Me? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't get it." I'm like, "What do I do? I just, you know, I just play soccer all lunch." And, go and I, I, what's that? Well, you know, why, why should I be captain? I um, said, "No, no. I see something special in you." And wow. I was like, "I was like, okay, I'm not gonna win it anyways, Just go ahead." And I don't know if it was a prank, but I got I got, I got majority of the votes of the school from the, from the from the students, and I wow. I I ended up becoming school captain, and I was like, whoa, I'm out of my depth. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a shy kid, you know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I was, yeah I, was, I was really out of my depth. I, I felt I was out of my depth at that moment. But clearly, the teacher saw something in me um, that I didn't see myself. And um, one thing that I've always taken on is if I'm in a situation, like and I think it came from that opportunity in year, in year 10 when that teacher told me that I'm capable of more than even what, my, what the grade ceiling is. And from then on, I was like, okay, whatever I do, I'm just going to try my best at it and just see where it goes. And when I became school captain, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to really push myself. I would I would full-on practice before, you know, meetings with other captains and the principal, and I would write little notes. And so I, I, I did the extra hard day And I think that really built my confidence in, in what I can achieve and really started to believe in what positive mentors around me saw in me. So, you yeah, know, that, that was a really um, cool experience. I think that really helped me when I stepped out of, um, you know, school and into the real world where, you know, no one's holding your hand. No one's saying, okay, you've got homework, you need to do this time and whatnot. You know, when you go into uni and, and, and other sort of educational, things, you, know, you get an assignment and it's up to you. You can yeah. do it. you can't do. You don't even have to come to the lecture if you want. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- those, those opportunities um, that built my confidence really helped me kind of believe that I can be something special and, and I can push myself. And yeah, that self-worth piece as well.
0: That's amazing. And it's so beautiful to hear that you, know, you had a good support structure and support system even throughout you know, your childhood and growing up because that is important. People underestimate the importance of having those support systems or mentors or people that believe in you because I can't even think in my own upbringing, um, as complicated as it was, I, I can outline three key people um, who were teachers who sort of supported me in all my different transitions that I was going through. Um, and honestly, um, they shaped who I was, and it really did help me to then start navigating as I then transitioned to a completely new country where I didn't know anyone um, and because I I came uh, when I was much older um, Mm -hmm. at working age, and so trying to navigate that and everything, all the little tidbits and everything that they taught me, Um, It taught me also to be self-entrepreneurial in terms of trying to find opportunities um, and trying to see how I can navigate um, the whole world in essence and find opportunities that are are great for me. Um, I'm really curious in terms of like when you then started thinking about, you know, what you want to become. Um, you know what were some of your inspirations and sort of saying, oh, this is what I want to pursue as a career or something that I want to do for myself. What what was your outline or insights in that um, growing up in what what you're doing now?
2: Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. I think if you you know chop up my life story like into three year pieces, like and you to go for, at the start of one of them and you tell me, okay, in three years, did you see yourself you know doing this? I would have said no. So yeah. I would have never. I would never saw myself ever becoming a school captain, um, <laughs> and, then when, and the, the other options that I got, I just yeah, I didn't know any of them existed. And I think um, even when I was picking, you know, my my year twelve subjects, what I wanted to do for uni, and all that, it's kind of that, that that you know that migrant pressure of like you know become a doctor become an engineer become a yes. and I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest none of those were really ever my passion um, <laughs> but i didn't know what else was out there i never knew you know the, any job that i've actually done on a full-time basis i never knew they even existed until I, I applied for the actual job and i'm like okay i don't know what this is sounds cool <laughs> uh, let me try but yeah i think there was there was something that someone told me once that really stuck with me and it said you can never dream of being a pilot if you never if you've never seen a plane yeah, And I think for me, obviously, you know, growing up as a, as a first generation Australian, I'll be honest, I, I, I probably still don't know exactly what first generation, second generation <laughs> um, Australian actually means because I wasn't <laughs> born here. But I came at a really young age, so am I first generation? Maybe are uh, my brothers that were born here first generation and sisters? I'm not sure. All well, I like can um, it say is it's
0: complicated, <laughs> yeah,
2: it is, it is. It's 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 kind of like it's already, um, like the first cousin, second cousin, yes. i am <laughs> never like, I'm not twice removed, yeah, yeah. Why can't everyone, why can't everyone just be my cousin? I know, uh, <laughs> why, why, why are we counting them? Uh, but yeah, so obviously growing up in Australia and my community in particular being really new, I'm not, I don't know the exact dates, but I think maybe the 1980s was probably the first Somali that's moved to Australia or whatnot. So we haven't really, we didn't have too many, you know, Somali doctors, Somali engineers, and, and those obviously, you know, qualifications within Somali weren't exactly recognized in Australia. and I'm not sure if it even is now, to be honest, but, you know, so it was like really hard to pick out career pathways if you don't even know what, what's out there, what exists. But I think one thing that has always been with me, I think, You know, when you're in primary school and teachers ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, someone says, I want to be an astronaut and I want to be a ballerina. I I remember I went up to the front of the class and said, I want to help people. And then people laughed, like all the kids in the classroom laughed because they're like, that's not a job. Uh, (laughs) Um, But I think thankfully for me, I've I've kind of, you know, eventually grew up and realized, you know what, everything I'm doing in all my different roles have really been helping people. So I kind of always knew as a kid, even though uh, like 22, I had no idea where I wanted to go in my career. Yeah. Like prim- primary school, me knew what I was going to end up uh, doing. So um, I remember when I first finished school, I ended up at RMIT University studying pharmaceutical science. Uh, it's, it's not for me. Not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of chemistry. But while I was doing that, I started, I started coaching at my local soccer club at the age of 19, um, which is probably really young for someone to be coaching because I was coaching kids that were under 15. So there's probably like a four-year gap between Mm-hmm. Uh, me, me, and the ex while I was coaching, but once again, I just wanted to help people. I wanted to give back. I was passionate about soccer, and I thought I was probably more useful as a coach than I would be a player. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that volunteering that I did at a local club, small club, like 200 people, um, ended up giving me my first sort of big break for for a career opportunity, uh, which I never saw it coming. I just wanted to 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 help my community. But Melbourne Victory Football Club were looking for a community football coordinator. And they went out to all their community-level grassroots soccer clubs to see if anyone wanted to push someone forward and and apply for the role. And the club president and vice president at the time, you know, called me and said, hey, Salim, you know, there's this really cool opportunity. And I think I was, like, 21, 22 then. I was, you know, changing courses at uni, not knowing what I want to do, trying to become a doctor for for my parents' sake. And and I was like, oh, Melbourne Victory, like the Melbourne Victory, like the the A-League club, like the one of the biggest, you know, soccer clubs in the country. And I've just been volunteering at a club that probably like 95% of Victoria might not be able to even name unless they've played them on, on a random Sunday. And what's, what's my experiences? Like, you know, wh- wh- why should I apply for this role? But at the same time, to apply for a full-time role, I have to leave uni. And, you know, my parents weren't, wouldn't be too happy about that. And I'm like, I was, I was at a real crossroads at that moment. Mm. But, you know, like they are like, oh, you know listen, this opportunity is there. You know, Maybe just, just throw your hat in the ring and just see how you go. And I did. And, and thankfully, I ended up with the role. Um, and there was one question where they asked me, where they were like, you know, you're the youngest person that's applying for this role and you're the least qualified person for, that's applying for this role. Like, why should we hire you? And it was really confronting, like, you know, being, being, being a young person, then, you know, oh, you know what, you're actually right. But thankfully, you know, due to my experiences of being school captain and, and doing a few other things, I built a little bit of that confidence in myself and ability to, you know, to speak and navigate conversations and situations. And my answer to them was, you know, you're right. I am the youngest person. I am the least qualified. But at the end of the day, if you teach me how to do something, I'm going to learn, you know, how to do it your way and just focus on doing that better every single day that I'm at work. Wow. But you can hire someone, you know, you can hire someone who's more experienced than me that has qualifications. Mm. But if they if they have a certain way of doing things and it's not your way, it's not going to work out.
0: I'm stealing that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's, it's, it's true. It's yeah. true. Um,
1: I've seen that in a lot of jobs whereby – they say you're overqualified or they skip mm-hmm. you because it is harder to teach
2: mm. someone
1: that's already done things a certain way to kind yep. of shift everything. It's, it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to teach a new mind mm-hmm. how to do things the way that they want. So that's yeah. amazing. Well yeah. done, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, seriously, really inspiring. And I'm sure a lot of young people will hear this and be like, all right, I, I can mm. do it too because we all see – that even in entry position roles with mm-hmm. anything, they, they want three years' experience, five years' experience. Yeah. Like how if you're not mm-hmm. even going to give me an opportunity type mm-hmm. thing? So it's just about giving it a go and really being confident in yourself, which is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did say as an ethnic, our parents and and what they kind of expect of their children to do, you know, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, accountant or failure, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, how How did your parents uh, receive this news? How were they um, were they in support of you when you mm. were thinking about taking this role and perhaps mm. leaving university? Um, how did that work out in the in the home?
2: Yeah, I think it was it was a, it was a really interesting um, experience, and I always knew it was going to be um, a challenge, uh, mm. particularly at the start because you know, especially when, when parents, that, that came from overseas. That you know, that came from civil war, and and all they want is is for you know the young people to get the best education possible, mm. to to get the best outcomes. Sometimes university does seem like the golden ticket. Yeah. So you finish university, you get a degree, you you earn the respect of the entire community. You end up getting a stable job, and you're getting you know like big, big bank. And and that's kind of what where that pressure comes from in terms of becoming you know a doctor, a lawyer, or, or any other professional engineer. And I think you know like especially. For, for, for the earlier community. I think right now, youth work is probably, you know, really popular. Like a lot of, you know, uh, people from uh, our communities are, are, you know, youth workers, social workers, community workers and, and we're all doing some amazing work but back in, in 2010 or earlier, like no one is doing a real job. Um, yeah. Yeah, everyone, everyone just like you a youth worker or a community, you're, you're a volunteer. Um, so so, so trying, to, trying to explain that I want to go to a soccer club and, and, and like kick, kick a ball around or chase a ball around and end up actually Turning that into a, into a career didn't seem like there was something that's even viable and I'm going to leave education behind. It was, was really tough for my parents to accept, but eventually when they saw how much I was growing, you know, how much I was enjoying it, you know, the, the fact that I was, I, was, I was earning at the time and stuff, they have always wanted me to go back to my education and complete it.
0: Mm.
3: Um,
2: but they were able to accept it a little bit more once they saw, you know, the fruits, fruits of my labour
0: yeah yeah indeed well it's so fascinating because um I too didn't go the normal traditional university route um I couldn't go to university because I couldn't afford it um and at that Mm. time I was back home in Zimbabwe and then when I then came here in Australia and well backtrack to whilst I was in Zimbabwe um I ended up doing some volunteer work um you know just to kill time um, because I didn't want to just be sitting at home doing nothing whilst Mm. all my uh, peers were going to university because, like, the majority of my peers were able to go to university and everything, but I couldn't. Um, So I sort of just did, you know, some volunteer gigs here and there that eventually landed me a job, but obviously because of the economic situation there, that job then ended, got another one, and then uh, eventually I then moved to Australia and then, also, I was here in Australia. It was quite interesting that the volunteer work that I did actually was able to support me to give evidence that, you know, I yeah. can do stuff because I was doing project coordination, yeah. you know, supporting um, young people as well. Um, and so, when it then came to then applying for a job, I was able to sort of leverage that because, yeah. similar thing, you know, same quest, similar questions like, you know, they would ask, well, you, don't seem to have qualifications, Australian qualifications. One mm-hmm. makes you believe that, you know, you'll be good for the job and you can understand the landscape. And being able to articulate my transferable skills, being confident in myself, then was able to allow me to land a job. And from then on, that's how mm-hmm. I've been able to sort of succeed and mm-hmm. be able to elevate or without a degree. Because people find it surprising that with the role that I'm in, I got them without a degree. I only got my degree probably like two, three years ago, and it, yeah. it was only literally just to appease my parents, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yeah. even when I came to Australia, I then had the opportunity to go to university. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the university costs was going to be like sixty thousand dollars, and then I was like, "Well, do I want to be going on debt for sixty thousand dollars, or start earning sixty thousand dollars a year?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I. Then opted for that full time. And I'm kind of glad that I did do that because then I didn't have the whole hex debt situation Mm. Um, that people don't think about especially when considering university because it is expensive especially Mm. depending on the kind of role that you want to be if you want to go the doctor route like you're thinking about six seven Mm. years in school what does that mean how are you going to be able to support yourself your parents may not necessarily be able to support you during that time so then you end up taking debt and then that then sort of compounds so I think it's important for people to not only consider university is the be all and end all of everything there's so many different routes and avenues and as you said being confident in yourself being able to apply yourself articulating yourself well in yeah. interviews because i absolutely love you story. how you then yeah. said you know they gave they told you okay these are the reasons why you know You Mm -hmm. seem underqualified, but we want to hear from you. And then that's always the key differentiator. How then Mm -hmm. do you sell yourself? How do you market yourself to say, I'm capable? And for you to be able to do that, you need to be confident in yourself as well, Mm -hmm. which is really important. So, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And it's so amazing um, hearing the supportive environment that you're in and how that's Mm -hmm. also shaped you as an individual yeah and then now growing up and you know starting your own family and everything you know what are some of the key lessons that you want to be teaching your children now that well obviously Australia is completely different compared to how you grew up um now we are in a more tolerant society even though there are still very much issues um especially related to now obviously there's a bigger African Australian community here um you know what are some of the the lessons or learnings that you want to be imparting to your children
2: yeah 100% I think um, it's very that's a very interesting question because I've I've only just recently um, got married so you know who knows when when I'll start having kids or what world they'll grow up in Um, it's really hard because when you look at the world that you know that I grew up in you know 10 you know 15 years ago there was no phones and now all of a sudden you know there's phones social media this there's that um, and you don't know what, you know, five, 10 years from now will look like. Uh, but I think obviously there's the, uh, there's the usual, um, things that, 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 that stand, such as, in you know, how to navigate the education system, how to navigate, you know, a lot, a lot of things. But I think one thing that's definitely I've learned, um, you know, growing up, growing up in a new country and, and, you know, like trying to, you know, build, build my, my connections is that the power of networking. and that's something that, you know, I didn't really have grown up. I didn't have someone that'd be like, Hey, listen, there's this job apply for this is that apply for that and now that thankfully I, I have a bit of a network um that i can hopefully pass that on to you know when i have kids and they grow up and they're looking for you know a mentor in this in this role a mentor in that role I'm, I'm able to point at people like, you know oh you want to become an accountant oh, i know this accountant and you can actually go have coffee with him and actually figure out what that's like and if it's for you and whatnot yeah um, rather rather than rather than just you know being thrown into uh, the deep end in a sense of like opportunity like i never knew you know that, that there was a, such a thing as a community football coordinator i love victory I didn't know what that was like. So, my, you know, my first start the job was like, okay, I'm just going to go around just, you know, try not to step on anyone's toes and just <laughs> learn, learn what this thing's about. And, and yeah, I think um, – and similar to any, other, any of the other roles that I've had, um, mm. any, any of the roles that, you know, any of my friends had and, and, and stuff. Like, we all kind of just, just learned and figured out what was, what was going on. But being able to actually give them people that they can look at and be like, oh, you know what, you know, find inspiration from this person, find inspiration from that person, and just build, build their networks.
1: Mm. I feel like this episode has turned into an educational tool (laughs) because these are really um, great notes to take from this. Firstly, is that university, like you both said, is not the be all and end all. Um, And there's just so much out there that you can, there's so many transferable skills. Everything you do, you can transfer it into a working situation. Yeah. For me, retail is huge. Retail is Everyone should work in retail at least once in their life because you learn a lot. Yes. (laughs) And the second thing is networking. So I unfortunately gave in to the pressures of you know the ethnic family. And I went to uni. (laughs) You know, that was just a (laughs) non-negotiable with with my father at least. And um I did communications as one of my units. And in the very first lectures, in communications and it's mate. I went to uni for like five years and I can't tell you what I remember I don't remember much <laughs> but the one thing I do remember in communications class in a lecture was that 60 percent of the jobs and it must be higher now 60 percent of the jobs you land is through people you know and not mm. through your qualifications or your resume or anything like that so the power of networking is huge it's mm. absolutely huge and I didn't really understand that until way past Jeannie, where I had opportunities where I did internships at, um, you know, radio stations and, and met so many fantastic people. And as soon as that time was over, I'm like, bye, and just <laughs> didn't keep in contact. And so many years later, I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, now you've lost contacts that would have opened amazing doors and opportunities for you because mm. at the time they saw what you've got. You know, even though you weren't really qualified, you showed them who you are, and so once you meet people like that, it's so important to kind of keep in contact, um, keep showing them what you've got, impressing the gatekeepers, I guess, you know, who Mm -hmm. have those connections. And Mm -hmm. I reckon being of African descent, that a lot of like, we have to start from the ground up type thing. You know what I mean? Like we don't, our parents don't naturally know people in CEO Mm -hmm. positions or, you know, who have their own organizations or who are doing this and that. So we have to start from the bottom in trying to create those connections and I think yeah a lot of people just don't realize the importance They think going to uni getting that degree getting that piece of paper will mean that they're guaranteed a job when that is absolutely not the case and at the moment universities are bombarded there's so many graduates coming out of it Mm. so there's a shortage of jobs and a very high number of overqualified people and just not enough positions so Mm. there has to be a point of difference whereby you stand out in some other way the degree is no longer enough so that's amazing Thanks. stuff. And so would you say from all of your experiences because it's really beautiful as well at this podcast. Most of the time it ends up being all of the negative experiences that we've encountered. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is this has been really nice to know that someone has had a really positive experience throughout their life mm-hmm. and they weren't shaped by negativity to doing what they do now. Like a lot of people in the youth empowerment and diversity advocacy is because they mm-hmm. want to change things that have happened to them that they don't want, you know, to happen to other people. But for you, you got into this because you had a positive experience and you'd like other people to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the empowerment space into, you know, the diversity, the keynote speaking, what, what do you keynote about actually? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> what I'd like to know.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a whole, you know, diverse range of things, but, um, I think it started a couple of years ago when I started um, returning to some of the schools that I um, used to go to. So going to East Preston, going to Reservoir High School and actually speaking to, to to the cohort of young people just to let them know, hey, I've been in your shoes. Um, I've experienced exactly what you experienced. I've been at this school. Um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I probably still don't know what I'm going to do at this point two mm-hmm. years from now. Um, so it's okay to, to not know that. And I think that's where young people... Often get really scared, get really worried, is because you know they they get asked, "What do you want to do in the future? What do you want to do when you grow up?" and they they feel like they have to know the answers. Mm. But you know, hearing from someone in the in mid twenties or late twenties, been like, "Hey, listen, I had no idea your age. I had no idea ten years beyond your age." You know, so it's just about in that moment, you know, just, just giving 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 it your absolute best and, and trying a few different things. And and like I said, if it wasn't for you know volunteering at Heart of Big Stars, which is which is a small um, club and push myself out of, out of my comfort zone people tell me, you're, you know, you're nineteen why are you even coaching like you should be playing soccer at that <laughs> age um, but if I didn't try that, I would have never got the other opportunities that um, have come my way and, and also um, seeing the, the the impact that you know the, the positive mentors that I had um, in in my in my early um, you know growth and how much that impacted me how much that helped me and trying to send that on to other young people as best I can. Has been probably you know one of, one of the biggest drivers of who I am and and, and why why I do what I do. And I'm one of, one of the earlier ones, one of the early experiences of it. was whenever my mom would give me food, I uh, would give me money to, to buy food at school. I'd probably shout my little cousins or stuff my <laughs> mom's like, "This is your money. You yeah? you buy, buy yourself a chicken roll or, or some hot chips and why not?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, okay." But then when I go to I go to the lunch and I see one of my younger cousins stuff, not eating. I'm like, oh no, come on, shut <laughs> oh <laughs> I
3: think
2: I think I've always had that that little thing um, about me that I wanted to just help everyone around me as much as I can.
0: Oh um, bless. That's so amazing. So you've always had a giving heart <laughs> mm, yeah. which is yeah. amazing. And look I can attest to not knowing what you wanted to do because hey, when I was in high school I thought I was going to be a neurologist. Mm. And then I did biology and I was like nah this is not for <laughs> me. <laughs> Um, And so then even, you know, trying to figure out because I, I never imagined myself being in banking, which I am Mm -hmm. now. Um, And I did imagine myself sitting on boards and everything, Mm -hmm. because that's something that I really thought that, you know, that's a way that I can sort of give back, as opposed to giving back because I wanted to give back. Uh, at an institutional level. So mm-hmm. where there's like a strategy advisor and everything. So I've been able to fulfill that, but I would have never imagined myself being in banking.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: again, it's one of those experiences where it's like, ah, oh, um, I was open to it. And through that, I then learned that, you know, there's so many opportunities that are there and so many things that you can learn. Similar thing as I continued on my volunteering aspect because even within the workplace, I was still volunteering, be it for uh, being an ambassador for a particular product or service Mm -hmm. or initiative or project and, you know, that kind of thing. And what I've then learned is to take all those experiences and then sort of mould and formulate what it is then that I eventually want to do. Mm -hmm. Because it's quite interesting. Yes, I've been in banking for 10 years, but then I'm now at a point where I'm like, um, but is this something that I want to do for the rest of my life? So I'm now mm-hmm. in the process of like pivoting and trying to identify, okay, this is how much I've learned from um, my career so far. You know, what can I do different? So I think it's important for people to know that you can always reinvent yourself at any point in time, just mm-hmm. because you decide that you want to go this particular route doesn't necessarily mean you have to stick with it for the rest of your life.
2: Yeah. I think
0: we need to learn that, um, as opposed to focusing so much on the end goal is the experience that matters, you know, how you're mm. then transformed by that journey, what you learn, what are the experiences. Um, mm. And I also want to point out that we're not bashing universities, <laughs> okay? <laughs> university is good, but I think you just need to think of it differently as opposed mm. to thinking of it to say, oh yeah, I need to go to university so that mm. I can figure myself out. There's so many different ways that you can figure yourself out. Universities mm. are also good for networking because mm. you then uh, meet different people, um, you know, who end up in different places and then they become your networks as well so as opposed to thinking of university again as a be-all end-all think of it as another avenue of building your network and building a career and building yourself and learning a different experience and even when you're in uni if you then you know you think you start you want to do pharmacology like what Salim said and then you realize mm, no it's not for me it's actually okay to pivot you can pivot the university even provides that support for you to be able to transition and pivot so I think all in all let's not put pigeonhole ourselves you know mm-hmm. allow yourself that opportunity to experience and to learn and that's that's the key thing yeah indeed yeah 100% <laughs> I think with,
2: with that that passion piece as well I think for me growing up I always thought soccer is my passion you know like I'll play at lunch I'll play after school I'll play at my local club I'll play FIFA I would watch every soccer game that I can possibly like I would lose sleep for soccer but it wasn't until I got that Melbourne Victory job, that I realized, you know, now nine to five. I'm around soccer. I'm running yeah. schools. I'm, I'm delivering soccer clinics. I'm at, you know, Melbourne Victory games at halftime, do, do, doing little activations and whatnot. And I realized, after all, there's something missing. Like I, I thought this was my passion, but like I had to really, like you know, kind of evaluate what I'm doing and why is this not giving me the satisfaction that I thought it would. Because if you asked me as a kid, "What's your dream?" and someone told me, you, you know. You, you could work at a soccer club, I will give up an arm and a leg to get the opportunity. And I realized that I was going to schools and I was doing little programs where I wouldn't see the kids again. Mm. And I realized for me, my passion didn't really come from soccer. Even though I loved coaching at my local club, but it was actually seeing the young people grow over a period of time. Mm. You know, coaching them from the start of the season all the way to the end and seeing not only their football skills develop, but their personality, their character, you know, their leadership skills, their, their, their social skills as well. And, and that was what gave me that satisfaction was seeing young people grow. I think that's what led me into you know, youth empowerment or, or advocacy or, or in, in the community development space. Was mm. when I realized, you know what, I love sports and, you know, it's, I will, I will, I'll still stay up, you know, till 4 a.m. Um, before I work night to watch soccer, but it's not that, that that I would do for, you know, a living. Yeah. So I think that, that's one thing that, that helped me understand that, you know, you can be passionate about something, but it might not be that thing. It might mm. be something from that and, and, and trying to really, really delve a bit deeper into it. And I think the second thing that, that I wanted to, to um, talk about is, is networking. And mm. the moment, the moment that I realized the power or the impact of networking was at moment. Victory, I had a one-year contract.
3: Mm-hmm. And for
2: me, that was my first full-time job. And it was like a whole new experience. And I thought, you know what, when you get a job, you just hit all your KPIs, get out of there and that's it. That, that'll do, like, you know, you, you're guaranteed another, another job. And I think I, you know, there was um, a record that had, you know, they booked 12 schools in one term and I booked like 30 something. So yeah. I, I almost tripled the, the, the record they had at the time, but Come the end of the year, I didn't get a, a new contract.
0: Wow! I was, like,
2: I was like, "What happened?" I've you know, I've, I've ticked almost every box that I can, but I realized that there was you know, maybe I wasn't you know building relationships within the office. I wasn't you know going above and beyond and doing the other social things. And when I ended, when the contract ended, I had no networks. I had mm. no one that I could you know that can help me get into another role or, or whatnot and everything. And I had you know, then was, I, I never even knew what LinkedIn was, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. And I was basically back at zero. Mm. and that was a real like point for me like okay i gave up university for this opportunity yeah i gave this i gave the opportunity everything that i thought i had to give um but now i'm just you know no uni no work nothing um then i you know i went back into uni started started studying um health and information management um which also wasn't for me but <laughs> yeah t- through through trying to rebuild myself i got a few other opportunities and, and they came through networks mm. so uh, i got a job at islamic council of victoria and the person that helped me land that role was that I was going to to a community program where they take, you know, young people for camps and stuff. And I was just, you know, I was just a participant at the camp and they had three buses, but only two drivers. And at that point I had, I had my full license. I was like, uh, what age did you get your full license? Like 19, 20? Um, yeah, roughly, so
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah, got so mine I, pretty late, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so they had extra bus and they said, you know, we need someone to drive this bus. Um, and most of the people were, 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 a lot younger we had a few fathers and whatnot and the fathers were like, I don't want to drive a van for two or three hours. I'm just here to chill. Um, so I'm like, you know what? cool, I'll do it. And for me, it was just like, you know, I'm like, all right, give me all the cool kids in, in my bus. So I can just be <laughs> a, a fun, a fun quick ride. I never, I never thought anything of it, but the person that was organizing that camp was really grateful for the opportunity. And when I applied for a role at the Southern Council of Victoria, I went, went to their website. At that point, I knew, okay, network is really important. Mm-hmm. I went to their website, checked their board of directors, checked every person I can, tried to find a familiar face. And I found that person that organized that, that camp. And I was like, hey, you know, do you remember me? Uh, you know, I helped you at that camp when you you, know, you knew the extra boss. I see that you're involved in this organization. You just put in a good word um, when, I'm, when I'm applying. And then when I went for the interview process, I was like, oh, you know, so-and-so told me about you. So I had that that boost, basically, you know, before even going into my interview. And that's where I'm like, okay, you know what? Networking is really important. And the next, even the next job that I landed was from, so ICV, uh, of Victoria. we're doing leadership programs mm. and and they had like one or two positions left, you know, and they're like, oh, Salim, listen, you're, you're the age, just, you know, just join the program. And I was like, oh, I can't bother, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're like, you know, they, they, they kind of uh, pushed us, like, listen, it'd be really beneficial. You know, we'll, we'll include it as your work hours. You know, they're kind of buttered up in the situation. I'm like, oh, you know what? I have nothing to do now. I'll <laughs> never just go do it. But you know, I wasn't. I was a bit reluctant, to be honest. Yeah. But it's it was a leadership program where they connect, um, you know, young Muslims to, um, Muslim professionals, and you can just you know sit and have a coffee, with someone, and you know they tell you what industry you want. It will connect. It's like a mentoring program. Mm. And the mentor that I got connected to was the um, general manager of the Community Foundation at Western Bulldogs for a coffee and mm. then uh, as, as you know ad through the work that was up together um, with the western bulldogs that was my next job yeah <laughs> so, so a program that I, that I wasn't even sure if i wanted to do ended up just you know just doing it just because mm. ended up actually connecting me with someone that ended up becoming my, my, my future manager um and that is the power of networking you don't know who you're going to meet you don't know what kind of impression that you have to make it's mm. just really good to put your best foot forward at all times and everything else will kind of sort itself out in life absolutely absolutely
1: well that's the next question i was going to ask if you had any advice to give other young people in the community or people who just are still trying to figure themselves out um what advice would you have for them
2: um one one thing i'll definitely say is that life is one of one of those things where you don't know what you're going to get you know you don't know you know you can put all the effort in um, and end up with nothing, or you could put you know, minimal effort, end up with everything. like you just don't know what it's going to be. But then, if you put all the effort in, um, something will come out of it, whether it's what you want it to be or mm-hmm. or, or or another blessing, you know, that you weren't expecting. Um, something will, will come out of you putting in that effort. But if you put in you know, zero effort, you kind of get zero output. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I like when I was working at when I was volunteering at Hardberg Stars, I was not getting paid, I was you know, spending my, my own time there. One, and I never the biggest club in the country would, would, would give me an opportunity based off that. You know, yeah. if, someone, if someone told, you know, you know, everyone in my community, hey, listen, if you coach our hundred big stars, you're going to get a job at Mount Victory. Yeah. We, yeah. Would have, we would have a thousand coaches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, but, you know, it's just a yeah, similar, similar thing. Like if I knew that driving that bus to that campsite mm. would end up helping me land another job, you know, everyone in that capital will put their hands ahead and Let me drive the bus yeah. off. Oh, there would have been a punch on <laughs> <laughs> um, But you know, in life you just don't know what, what, what you're gonna get out of, you know, like like simple you know, simply put it putting your best foot forward. You don't know what will come out of it. But just if you just, you know, do that, something something will will, will end up happening. Mm. that's
0: amazing always open yourself up for opportunities be open Mm. to opportunities and be willing to try because as you said if you put in zero effort you also then get zero outcomes so Mm. I think that is so amazing and yes the power of networking amazing Mm. amazing there's so many Mm. places actually that people can do networking Um, you know we now have so many groups that have formed um, really looking forward to us now being able to meet in person so that you can mm-hmm. network with different people um so yeah absolutely love it and even though it's not a paid um podcast i and i'm not paid to say this but incubate foundation also provides mentoring <laughs> coaching and networking events for people just to connect and that's always mm-hmm. been our biggest thing is those experiential events because we understand that you know you're starting from from scratch you know mm-hmm. when you come to australia you don't have those networks so it's important for you to be able to then identify well who can i speak with who can i connect with so for me i always um try to connect me- people wherever I see synergies, say, Hey, do you know this person? I think you should be in contact with this person. And then, you know, they end up, mm-hmm. you know, building something or then they get another opportunity. And that that's the key thing because networks is how it, basically that's how the system works. Cause even if you yeah. think of it in the corporate world, how people get roles, how people then get all these senior jobs and everything, it's all different clubs, associations, mm-hmm. and, you know, someone knows someone because, People hire people who they like and yeah. people who they uh, are familiar with or know. So mm. if you're not known, guess what? No mm. one would vouch for you. No one mm. is going to be interested in you. So mm. being networking with people is so, so important. So I love that. Absolutely love mm. that. Mm. And last but not least, Salim, a final question that we ask all our guests. What does being African-Australian mean to you?
2: Oh, that's a that's, that's a very loaded question <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or interesting question. Um I think for me, um, it's it's interesting because at the end of the day I'm also solid, you know. Yeah. I think I think I think it's about understanding and accepting every part of who you are, um and you know, defining that for for yourself. And I think, you know, people that you know that, that might look for someone else to accept who they are because you know they're still unsure, okay. You know what? Do I have to be more Australian than African? Do I have to be more African than Australian? Do I have to be more you know, Muslim than, than either one of them? So, you know, at the end of the day, your, your name is who you are, and people might not see it. So like, if someone I've never seen before looks at me, they're going to say, oh, that's Salim, because they don't know. You know gonna, <laughs> oh, that's probably an African person, you know, and he has a big beard, so he might be Muslim. So <laughs> other, other things you're going to see um, in me, and I have, to, I have to be able to accept that, but ultimately, I have to know who I am. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's the important part. So... Once, once you're in your own identity, people that reject that are not worth your time. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's the important part about, you know, you'll find people that, that are going to be not accepting of you. You're going to find people that um, are curious to know. And it might seem like, you know, it's disrespectful, but it's not. And I had this one experience when I was at Mount Victory where I, I did a program in like rural Victoria, like three, four hour drive, um, no, no reception and, and, and everything. The whole the whole works. And I had a young person was like, prep or grade one we're doing a soccer program for the entire school the whole school's like 30 kids and we're doing a program for them and one of the kids came inside started, started like rubbing on on my arm and i'm like oh hey buddy you, you okay like, <laughs> does it does it not does it not come off <laughs> and i was like oh and then like i was i was a, like i was a little taken back but i lost the situation yeah. i think the, the principal like ran down He's like oh my goodness i'm so sorry <laughs> and i was like no 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 I'm like it's okay like he's curious yeah he's never seen he's never seen someone of my complexion and I feel like at those moments it's 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 for me at least I I put that pressure on myself it's my duty to give that person a positive experience yes Mm. because if they never come across another African Australian person again you know I I don't want the media to portray how they see my community Mm. I've got the opportunity then to shape that young person's belief and understanding of what an African Australian person is like, and, and and give them a really positive experience. So that's why I feel like that it's a responsibility, but at the same time, it's something that I need to ground within myself, of, or, or, or or make really solid within myself, so no one can question that. And if they don't understand it and they don't accept it, that's a problem that they have. That's not a problem that I have. It's something that I have to change. So I think that's what that's what being African Australian um, means to me. Yeah.
0: Amazing, amazing. Accept yourself first mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. anyone else accepts you. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely thank love you. it.
1: It's harder said than done. I know. <laughs> Gosh. <Yeah>. That's tough. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's fun. amazing. Well, thank you so much, Salim. I think we will um stop it here. So many nuggets yes. from this <laughs> from this show. Um, I really appreciate your time and your insights. It's been really amazing. And I'm glad that this was a positive news story because not every, yeah, not every experience of being black in Australia is negative. Yes. You know, Mm. and if we close our minds to it being negative or expecting it to be negative all the time, then we'll just surround ourselves with negativity. Mm,
0: Exactly, Mm. exactly. I I absolutely love it. Um, Loved Mm. your authenticity. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, It definitely is going to impact a lot of people and also validate some people who... Same as you didn't have those, you know, negative experiences that a lot of people talk about. And and yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge at the moment is that the people that have had the worst experience are the ones that speak up the most. And then when you've had a positive experience, you feel like, oh, should I say mm. something because then it feels like you're invalidating the other person's experience, but no, all experiences are valid. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're mm-hmm. just one version. You're one reality. Multiple realities can exist, can coexist at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it be, it's so great that we have, you know, your perspective and your experiences. And that's the whole purpose of the uh, podcast to sort of show how diverse people's experiences and knowledge and understanding of what it is being African-Australian because um, mm-hmm. that's why we asked that one particular question in um, the last because we just want to know where, how do you interpret it and mm-hmm. people interpret it very differently, very differently. All our guests so far, they've mm-hmm. all had completely different answers which is really, really good because again, it's however you want to define it. And, and mm. however you want to be perceived and and that's mm. the key thing, having that sense of ownership of self is what's mm-hmm. important, yeah,
2: yeah absolutely I think it's it's definitely that, that individualism um and being able to actually you know be able to 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 weigh that up with also that collective um experience you know obviously when we come from African families and communities, we're all about community, we're all about you know being connected, being together, um you know which in, in, in Australia, it's very different, it's very individualistic yes. society. Um, yes. And we have to be able to balance both balance. Those, uh, at, at the same time. Sometimes, yes, yeah, about really difficult to find that um, that that balance. Uh, yeah. yeah, yes, yes. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you both for having me. Thank you.
0: <laughs> wow, I absolutely love
1: Celine's story. That was so inspiring, honestly. I mean, I just didn't think that there were many people that would have such a positive experience growing up, but it's just, yes. you know, he just showed us that there are people out there that have surrounded themselves with such amazing people and and circumstances and came out on top.
0: Exactly. Oh, so so heartwarming to 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 hear. And what were your lessons that you learned from
1: mm. Salih? I think my biggest one, and we spoke about it at length, I think, um, is this whole idea of networking, Mm. networking to get ahead. It's not about your qualifications necessarily, which I mean, experience is good and knowing what you're doing obviously is always good, Yeah. but it's showing up and showing out, showing your best self, wherever you are, you never know Mm -hmm. who you're going to meet. You never know who's going to see you, you know, and see your shine and, and start believing in you and opening oh. up those opportunities for you. So network people, get out there and meet people every day.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Networking is
1: important.
0: Mm. For myself, actually, what I've learned is the importance of actually having a supportive structure around you, because mm. from Saleem's story, as we have seen, from growing up in the household that he's in, his family was supportive, and they're able to structure, you know, his life around the the uh, emphasizing the importance of religion putting him into a school that is that supports those values and then also being able to allow him to experience the wider world outside of his religious um, experience. And I think that is very crucial and very important, especially as we grow up in this Western society, trying to have the balance of what it looks like, you know, wanting to instill your, be it religious or cultural values, whilst also at the same time interacting with the wider world. So he is testament of the importance of having a supportive structure, because even when he then, you know, wasn't sure of himself or, you know, wanted to change and shift and do something that was outside of the box, because his parents were very supportive of that change. It made him more confident to be able to try something new that he's un- unfamiliar with. And it's yeah. so, so important for us to just demystify that whole concept that you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. There's so many other ways that you know someone can give back or earn a living in their life. And I think it's important for people to see that, you know, the 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 other side of someone going outside of that traditional
1: route of a
0: career. So I love that for Celine.
1: Yeah. And I just, I wish I had it like him where I was in a school up until an age where I was really strongly rooted in my identity before going out into the big wide world. Yes. Because I think there's a lot of confusion that happens in those younger years. Mm -hmm. So it's so, so important to kind of keep reiterating who you are, what your values are, your culture, your language, you know, everything and show the importance of showing up with all of that as a strength so true so so true
0: and yeah I mean there we go we've got a blueprint ladies and gentlemen on how we can do it right and raise our children you know in this western society whilst also paying homage to our culture and our religious values
1: Mm, another amazing guest on our show I I can't even wait for our next one guys and I'm sure all of you guys will also be really excited for this next one.
0: Amazing. And we will catch you all in our next episode.
1: <laughs> Keep up and interact with us on our socials by following us on Instagram and Facebook at canwetalkaboutit.au or subscribe on our website at canwetalkaboutit.info for all the latest promotions and upcoming events.